Good morning, Plum Creek. Great to see you guys here today. I'm glad you decided to join us, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. You know, I was thinking this morning what an amazing thing it is that God has given us His Word, that the Creator of the universe wanted us to know Him. And in this book, we have His words, and it's such a a privilege every week to listen to God. So I pray that you will do that as, as we look at His Word today. Not only hear it, but listen. Let these words sink into your heart and do what God intends for them to do. Today we're in the second week of our series on 1 Peter. And this morning we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. Now in case you missed last week's sermon, here's a quick summary. Uh, 1 Peter is actually a letter. It was written by the Apostle Peter. And he wrote this letter to a group of churches in a region called Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And in the Roman Empire at this time, Christians were beginning to experience persecution. So God inspired Peter to write this letter and send it to these Christians who were suffering. Uh, They they were already going through persecution, but that persecution was only going to get worse. Most scholars believe that 1 Peter was written during the time of Nero. A lot of you have probably heard of Nero. He was the Roman emperor. He was a ruthless tyrant, and he was also a little crazy. In the year 64, uh, there was a big fire in Rome, and some people blamed that fire on Nero, and he wanted to stop that rumor, so he actually blamed the fire on the Christians. And that's when the persecution really got brutal. A Roman historian named Tacitus said that some Christians were crucified. Others were were wrapped up in animal skins and then thrown to wild dogs who then tore them apart. And then some Christians were tied to poles and set on fire. They served as lights for the city at night. So it was horrific. And this type of persecution was happening specifically in the city of Rome, but really all across the Roman Empire, there was a growing hostility against Christians. But last week, we saw in 1 Peter chapter 1 that followers of Jesus always have hope, a living hope, no matter what's going on. And this hope is only possible because of Jesus himself. When you have given your life to Him, you know that He is with you, not just in this life, but for all of eternity. And that means when we go through a time of suffering, we can have joy. Even in the midst of our worst pain, our worst grief, we can still have joy. Now, that was last week. So today, we're moving on to 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, go ahead and pull up that passage. Now, we're we're not going to cover every verse in this chapter. We'll focus on verses 4 through 12. And in this passage, we're going to see what it means to be the church in a world that is often opposed to the message of Christ. So let's read this, 1 Peter chapter 2, and and we'll start with verses 4 through 8. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, 
rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now let's pause for a second right there. That word cornerstone, that's, that's pretty important. And who is that talking about? Who is the cornerstone? It's Jesus. If you grew up going to Sunday school, you know this, right? If the teacher asks a question and you're not sure about the answer, you should always guess Jesus. And that's right in this case. So let's keep reading verse 7. Now, to those who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So Peter uses a construction metaphor here. And this is a little like the metaphor that I used last week. I compared our faith to the cathedrals that were built in the Middle Ages. And I don't need to go through all of that again, but I'll give you a quick review. We've got this diagram of a cathedral, and we have three sections here. You start with the foundation, that's what holds everything up. Then you have the support, which would be the walls and the columns and the pillars. And then you have that heavy stone roof. That's a lot of weight bearing down on the structure. But then we said this diagram is kind of like a picture of God's approach to life, what he wants us to do. And you start with that foundation, which here is Jesus himself. You you don't base your life on you. You base your life entirely on him. And then that support would be your faith in Jesus. That means you trust in him completely. You, You believe what he says and you will do what he tells you to do. Finally, the roof is a symbol of our circumstances. And sometimes our circumstances in life are are not really that heavy. But sooner or later, we all go through a time of suffering. And life gets very heavy. And if you are going to hold up under that weight, you need a strong foundation. You need solid support. So in this diagram, Jesus is our foundation But here in 1 Peter chapter 2, he gets more specific. He refers to Jesus as the cornerstone. Now that's a powerful image, and here's why. Historically, the cornerstone was the most important part of the building. It, It was the stone that you set first in the foundation as you begin construction. And this cornerstone had to be set just right. Because all the other bricks and stones were laid based on the position of the cornerstone. The entire building was based on the position of the cornerstone. So you get the comparison, right? If Jesus is your cornerstone, then you align your entire life to him. When he points you in a certain direction, that's where you will go. And like Peter says here, Jesus is a trustworthy cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You know, I say this all the time. (laughs) 
Jesus knows how to run my life far better than I do. His wisdom is infinitely beyond my wisdom. And when the pressures of life bear down on me, there is only one cornerstone that is capable of supporting that weight, and it's Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus, he he becomes so precious. Unfortunately, though, many people don't see it that way. They they may not believe in him at all, or, or maybe they think of him as a good man or a good teacher, but they're not willing to, to give their lives to him, to give him control of their lives. But what does Peter say here? He says, some people reject this cornerstone, and if they do, they're headed for a fall because life without Jesus, it's empty, it, it fills you with despair, and it eventually it leads you to destruction. And if you're listening right now, and if you have not made Jesus your foundation and your cornerstone, I pray that you will do that. I pray that you will make that decision as soon as possible. But for those of us who have made that decision, Peter has some amazing things to tell us. I want to read 1 Peter 2, 9. Uh, This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I have a lot of favorites, but this is one of my favorite favorites. And it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So let's break this down one piece at a time. First, what does it mean to be a chosen people? There's a lot we could say about this, but... uh, I want to ask a question. Uh, Does that phrase mean that God has appointed only a select few to be saved? And if so, does that mean that God has chosen or appointed other people to be condemned? Because if that's the case, that doesn't sound like a loving God, right? Well, to put this in perspective, it's very helpful to to hear what Peter said in his second letter. In in 2 Peter chapter 3, he's talking about the day of the Lord. And this is the day when all prophecies will be fulfilled. This is the day when Jesus will finally set things right. And for those who are in Christ, this day means salvation. For those who have rejected Christ, this day means damnation. And Peter is saying this this is coming. This is a promise. But listen to what he says in verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So according to this verse, Who is it that God wants to save? Everyone. Who who is it that that God wants to spend eternity with? It's everyone. That's, That's why Jesus went to the cross. He loves each one of us. He loved you enough to die for you. So back to 1 Peter 2, 9. When Peter says, you are a chosen people, who is he talking to? Is he talking to everybody in the world since God wants everyone to to spend eternity with him? No. Peter is speaking specifically to Christians. 
He's speaking specifically to the ones who said, God, thank you for choosing me. I accept your invitation. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you're about to play kickball and you got two captains and the captains are choosing different people for their team. And let's say one of those captains chooses you. Are you on that team yet? No, not yet, because you have to accept the invitation, right? Because you, you still have the opportunity to walk away. You, you can take your ball and go home. But if you say yes, then you're on the team. You, you are a part of that chosen group. And you know, for those of us who are a part of the church, isn't this a great thing to know? To know that God has chosen us before we were ever interested in choosing him? Man, I'm so grateful for that. But that's not the only thing we see in 1 Peter 2.9. We also learn that we are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, as I was studying this week, I got a whole new perspective on this verse. A preacher named Tim Keller explained it in a way that I had never heard before, and I thought this was amazing, and I wanted to share it with you. And I'll start with this question. What does it mean to be a royal priesthood declaring the glory of God? Well, let's back up a few centuries. In the Old Testament, God appointed three kinds of officials in the nation of Israel. There were prophets, there were priests, and there were kings. And the people who filled these offices were, were kind of like the spiritual elites in Israel. And let's look at the, the purposes of each one of these roles. First, a prophet spoke the word of God. He said what God told him to say. And, and sometimes that meant he would confront the people and rebuke them for their sin. Sometimes a prophet would interpret the past or predict the future. So then you have the priest. A priest was a mediator between God and his people. A priest led the people in worship. Uh, he, he offered sacrifices for sin. If you wanted your sin to be forgiven back in the Old Testament, you needed a priest. Finally, you have the king. A king ordered the lives of his people. He set their priorities. He gave them direction direction for the whole nation. Eventually, though, God eliminated the Old Testament system. And why do you think God did that? Well, if you're not sure about the answer, you know what to guess, right? It's Jesus. That's right once again. When Jesus came into the world, we didn't need those spiritual elites anymore. Why? It's because Jesus fulfills each one of those roles perfectly. He is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate king. Think about it. Jesus spoke the word of God. He preached everywhere he went, and that's a prophet. He was also the perfect sacrifice. He sacrificed his own life. He, he covered the sins of everyone who ever lived, and that's the role of a priest. Jesus also orders our lives he is the good and perfect king. And when you allow him to be the king in your heart, he will guide you and direct you and lead you to the place where you need to be. 
So prophet, priest, and king. That's already amazing. But 1 Peter 2.9 takes things a step further. Did you notice that? He says, if you are a part of a church, the church of Jesus, then you are a royal priesthood declaring the glory of God. So when you give your life to Christ, you take on these roles. You become a prophet and a priest and a representative of the king. There used to be this great divide between the spiritual elites and the common people of God, but that divide no longer exists. 1 Peter 2.9 says we're a priesthood. Everyone in the church is a priest. We're also a royal priesthood. We serve as special servants and emissaries of the king. And finally, we're a royal priesthood that declares the glory of God. So we're all prophets too. Now we need to apply this to real life because we often don't think this way. A lot of times we, we slip back into that old mindset where you've got a group of religious specialists over here and then you've got everybody else. But that's not how the church is supposed to function. Now, in Scripture, we do see special roles like elders and deacons, uh, but every member of the church can fulfill the three roles that we're talking about here. So let's look at how we do this. First, what does it mean to be a prophet? Well, in order to be a prophet, you need to know the Word of God so that you can speak it to people and then watch the transformation take place. And this should be happening both inside and outside the church. Within the church, we encourage each other. We challenge each other. We counsel each other. And we can't do these things with human wisdom because human wisdom is hopelessly flawed. We have to speak the word of God to each other. And then outside the church, we need to be ready wherever we go, whoever we, we are with, to share God's Word. We see that in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, uh, persecution broke out in the city of Jerusalem, and the Christians scattered to different towns and different regions. And the Bible says all these Christians preached the Word wherever they went. Now, I realize a lot of us may be intimidated by this idea. Maybe you feel like you don't know the Bible very well. You may feel like you're not equipped to step into this role of a prophet. And those things may be true. But you don't have to settle for that. You can get equipped. And, and this is part of what the church is supposed to do. The church should equip you with the Word of God so you can go out and share that with others. There's an opportunity for that to happen right here at Plum Creek very soon. In the month of August, we're hosting a special class called Foundations. Nathan DeRico is going to teach this class every Sunday morning in August from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. So during this service, that's going to happen over in the Life Center. And by the time you uh, go through this class, you will be more comfortable and familiar with the Bible and you'll also have a basic understanding of what Christians believe. And listen, we don't learn these things just to fill our heads with knowledge. We, we learn these things because we're being shaped by the Word of God. And we're being equipped to share His Word with others. Some of you know that you need to be at this class. 
and I hope you'll show up on August 1st. So that's the role of a prophet. But how should a Christian go about being a priest? This one uh, it sounds a little weird. But one thing is clear. Uh, we don't need to go around slaughtering sheep and goats. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to make sacrifices as a way to earn forgiveness. Jesus took care of that. He was the perfect sacrifice. And because of Jesus, we don't need some temple priest to be a mediator between us and God. We can go to God directly and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. That's what we see in Romans chapter 12. But there's another side to this. In the church, we also sacrifice and lay down our lives for each other. Now, we don't always feel like doing that, do we? Sometimes it just feels easier to pull back and distance ourselves from others in the church. But back here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see that Christianity is supposed to be a team sport, right? We read that in verse 5. It says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So right here, we have one spiritual house, and it's made up of many stones, many different stones. Now, if each stone is lying on the ground, separated from all the others, you don't have a building, do you? That's just a bunch of stones. But God brings these stones together to build this spiritual house. And in this house, we are a royal priesthood, and we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And one of those sacrifices is to submit to each other and serve each other in humility and love. And that means within the church, we don't demand to have things our way. We don't insist on being served. We look for ways to serve others. We make it a priority to be connected, to stay connected to the body, even when that's not convenient, even when relationships get complicated. Listen, I know that unity in the church is difficult. You've got to fight for that. And over the past year, it's been difficult. But every Christian is an essential stone in this spiritual house. Well, finally, let's look at the role of a king. And make no mistake, there is only one king of kings. That's Jesus. He stands alone. But followers of Jesus have been appointed to serve as representatives of the king. And just like a king orders the lives of his people, you can show the world what it looks like to order your life based on King Jesus, the cornerstone. You, you can send a clear message that Jesus is a king worth following. So how do we do that? How do we send this message? Is it by the words we speak? Well, sure, uh, that's, again, the role of a prophet. But there's another way to do this. And it may be even more significant. We can represent Jesus by the way we live. Back in 1 Peter 2, 9, we saw that God has called us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. What's the difference between darkness and light? There's a huge difference, right? It's obvious. 
And in the same way, there should be a clear difference between Christians and the rest of the world. Peter describes that difference in the last two verses that we'll read today. Let's go back and and read starting at verse 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul and live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So first, did you notice what this verse says about followers of Jesus? It says, we are foreigners. We are exiles. We're aliens. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And we have to remember this. When Jesus is your foundation, you will not feel at home in this world. You're not meant to feel at home because your true citizenship is in heaven. Now, as Peter goes on here, he explains how followers of Jesus should live as resident aliens in this world. On the one hand, we can't adopt the culture of our neighbors whenever that culture is in conflict with God's Word. And (laughs) there are many times when our culture is in direct conflict with God's Word. But on the other hand, We can't think of people outside of the church as enemies. We need to think of them the same way that God does. He loves them, all of them. He he doesn't want anyone to perish. And so we love them too. We want everyone to experience a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And how can we help them do that? Well, according to this passage, we can point them to Jesus by the way that we live. You might remember that Jesus said something very similar to what Peter says here. Back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, You are the light of the world, and a a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's an obvious parallel between Matthew 5 and 1 Peter 2, right? In both passages, God tells us to live as light in the darkness. In in both passages, God tells us to stand out in this world by living with integrity, by, by going out and doing good. Now, to some extent, Christians should be different because of certain things that we don't do. Uh, That's what Peter said, right? He said, as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires. But that's not the whole story. You know, some people think that Christianity is primarily a list of things you're not supposed to do. Like, don't cuss, don't get drunk, don't have sex outside of marriage. And, And it is true, when Jesus is your cornerstone, you will say no to certain things. But what did verse 12 say? It said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So it's not just about the sin that we don't do. It's also about going out and doing good. And many times it's not very dramatic. As you interact with others, just be kind. 
thoughtful and considerate. Be honest. Keep your word. Be a good boss or a good employee. And when you develop a long track record of being a good person, people will notice. But then uh, there are also times when followers of Jesus need to do good in a way that is exceptional. We can show compassion to people who are neglected or suffering or abused. We can meet needs that others are not meeting. We can work to solve some of the toughest problems in this world. And to be clear, we don't do these things to call attention to ourselves. We do these things because we're aligning our lives to Jesus. We want to live in the way that he lived. We want to love with his kind of love. And when we know that when Jesus is, we know that when Jesus is lifted up, others will be drawn to him. And that's what we pray for. So before we leave today, let's think about this. What will you do this week to go out and represent Jesus well? We need to have a specific plan. You need a specific plan. And we talked about one possibility just a few minutes ago. Jimmy shared that. We can reach out to international students and welcome them and help provide some of their basic needs. You know, if, if you are a student going to a foreign country to learn, boy, that, that could be a lonely experience. You could feel isolated. And so right here, we have an opportunity to show hospitality, to, to show God's love in a practical way. So uh, that's one opportunity, and I, I wanted to mention one more way that you can make a difference this week. Some of you have heard that there is a golf scramble coming up on August 6th down at Pendleton Hills. This event is happening in memory of Gabriella Smith. Most of you know that Gabriella passed away about two months ago after a fall while hiking. And this has been a difficult time, especially for the Smith family. But God is using Gabriella's life to inspire others. Seven years ago, I had the chance to go on a mission trip with a group from here. Gabriella was in that group, and we went down to the Dominican Republic. And I got to see firsthand Gabriella's love for God and her love for people. She was in med school at UK, and she wanted to be involved in medical missions. And it's an amazing thing, because even right now, Gabriella is still involved in medical missions. This golf outing will benefit Eastern Dominican Christian Mission. They're one of our mission partners. And the money will go to build a new medical clinic and a new church in a community called Brisas del Mar. Many people will be blessed by this ministry. People will be led to Christ through this ministry. And you know what? This is a, another example it's one of those times when followers of Jesus do good and then the world stops to notice. I don't know if you had the chance to see it, but Fox 19 up in Cincinnati did a story on Gabriella and the golf outing. And there was a quote at the end of that story that really made me smile. I, I don't know if this, uh, anchor is, this news anchor is a Christian or not, uh, but she said, Bravo, well done to keep her memory alive and do something good. What did Jesus say? 
Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love the fact that people are seeing this story. People are seeing followers of Jesus who are serious about loving others. And you know, if you're looking for a practical way to make a difference this week, you can be a part of this golf outing. Get a team together. Be a sponsor. Just make a donation. And you can go to plumcreek.org golf. There's a place where you can register or, or contribute. And there's also a link to that news story if you want to see it. You know, it is such a privilege to be a part of this chosen people. And it's such a privilege to serve as a prophet and a priest and a representative of the king. And it's such a high calling to be light in the darkness. And why should we do these things? Why should followers of Jesus be a light in a dark world? Well, in the end, it goes back to the reason why we were created in the first place. We do these things to bring honor and glory to God. We have been set apart to declare the praises of the one who called us. But we don't want to be the only ones who fulfill this calling. The other reason we live as light in the darkness is to lead others to Jesus so that they can bring honor and glory to God. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to him in a restored relationship with him, spending all of eternity amazed and awestruck in his presence. Let's pray for that to happen. Father, I thank you for choosing us. We did not deserve that in any way, but we thank you for it. And for all of us who have accepted the invitation to be a part of this chosen group. Lord, I pray that you would use us to bring glory to you and to lead others to you by, by the words that we speak and by the way that we live. That's not going to happen on our own, but because of your spirit in us, you, you, you can do this. And so we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.